Well, we'll read our scripture verses here in a moment, but I want you to imagine again, you're one of the disciples. Now it is 14 days after his resurrection. Last week we looked at where they might have been seven days. What are they thinking? What are they feeling? What are they going through? And uh, now this week it is 14 days after his resurrection. Remember, they went through a, a, a bunch of ups and downs, and uh, the Lord was resurrected. And, and what would they be going on, or what would be going on in their heart and mind 14 days after the resurrection? Let's think about that. Jesus has appeared to them. I don't know how many times by now. He would, appeared six times altogether. So I don't know how many times by this 14-day point. But I think what they are thinking and what they are feeling from day 7 to day 14 is just intensifying. There's something down inside that's just getting more and more intense. It is not going away. God will not let go of them. And God's Spirit does that, doesn't He? God does not let go of us. Uh, you know, I guess we, we are in a theology thinking denomination where you, we believe you can lose your salvation. However, what we do not teach often enough is that you just don't lose it like that. The Spirit of God will not let that happen. The Spirit of God loves you too much to just say, okay, boop, there you go. God will war over you and He will follow after you, and, and he will get your attention. And so these disciples are going through something spiritually, and it is just intensifying. There is a pull within them that is really strong, and it just is getting stronger and stronger. And I think it intensifies each time more as, as they have an appearance with Jesus. They followed him for three years. They uh, gave up things for three years. There was proof that they were really devoted to him. And there was proof that if they did those kind of things for three years, they really did pick him as the one who was the way, the truth, and the life. They have put their faith in him that way. They believe he is the Messiah. But they also have come to realize in those three years, and it's intensifying, they begin to realize my relationship with Christ, I depended a whole lot on what I was doing on my own what I was doing in my own strength. And now they're getting to the point they're realizing with more and more intensity, I've been a failure. I am disappointed in myself. I thought I would be a stronger disciple. I thought I would follow him better. And this is just intensifying within them. And then the realization, I think, in these 14 days, they are thinking more and more back to that last night with him where he had this long discourse, and you'll find it in John chapter 14 to 17. And it's that night that they, it seems like God just keeps bringing back to their attention that Jesus spoke a lot of things that night, but a lot of it had to do with the Holy Spirit. Another counselor, another comforter, another advocate, another defense, Jesus called him, who's going to come when I am gone and he will be there for you. And I think in these days it's just becoming more and more intense, their interest in the Holy Spirit, their interest in what was Jesus trying to get across to us? What is What does it all mean? And you can't seem to put it all together as yet, but it just keeps building within your own being and you want to put it all together. 
What the disciples were searching for was to discover the holy way that Jesus wanted for them. And it is today. We're going to look at that some more. And so now, if you will, stand with me as we read these two portions of Scripture from God's Word. Not a lot here, but we're putting Old Testament, New Testament together. And here's what we have. The Ten Commandments have just been um, given. And the people are at the mountain. And here's what we read. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. And we go to Galatians 2.20. Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You may be seated. The holy way. Let's note some things about it. Number one, the holy way is a journey into the unknown. Here's an interesting point to make. Moses took that journey. Moses was called of God. He was sanctified by God. He was separated by God. He was called by God to take up a holy way for him. And what do we read was Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. I don't know what that looked like, but it looked like something because it was recorded there and the people saw it. And uh, Moses walked towards this thick darkness. I don't know if it looked like uh, the fog, real dense fog like we had a few mornings ago here in, in Derby. I don't know if it looked like a dark, dark cloud that you will see before heavy rains come in. I don't know if it looked like a wedge tornado where it is dark and you don't know what's going on inside that tornado. It, it, all I know is what Moses approached was something in which nobody knew what it was in the cloud, in the darkness, in the thickness of it all. It was unknown. And the holy way has always been like that. It's a mystery what God will do in your life. It's an unknown journey. You just, you don't know what God has for you the holy way. There is a mystery about it, and uh, only God knows what is coming up. Kermit and Barbara are not here today, but, but I think for several years now, they can tell you about every year they go on one of these mystery trips. They pay money, and they get on a chartered bus with a bunch of other folk, and and uh, that bus will take them to a place they were not told where they're going, and they'll be gone. I don't know how long these trips take, three, four days, seven days. And all they will tell them is, you are to dress this way. You know, they may say, be, bring a jacket, which might tell you, it, you know, where it may be. Or they may say, bring a swimsuit. I don't know. Or bring your fur coat. They do not know where they're going, all, except that they know it's going to be safe. It's all planned out, and you're going to be fine. Well, God, when you take up the holy way, it's exactly like that. It is an unknown trip. It's a mystery trip. All you know is God says, I'm in charge. I know where I'm going. You'll be fine. But God doesn't tell you what it is. It's an unknown way. If you're waiting for God to show you what it's going to be all about, 
God says you cannot take up the holy way. It doesn't work that way. You have to trust me. If you want to wait till you know it all, you're going to miss the journey. You're going to miss the trip. And I guess it would work that way for Kermit and Barbara. They would say, okay, I'm not going on this trip unless you tell me where we're going and all the details and all about it. The company would say, well, folks, I'm sorry. It doesn't work that way. We can't tell you anything about the trip. Now, there are four things that I want us to look at that that are unknown to us, or or this unknown, um, uh, this journey into the unknown. Number one, and I want you to notice what is in uh, the quotes here, it is a mystery trip that's unknown to us. So it is. It's unknown to us. But God knows exactly what's coming up in the holy way for your life if you will accept it and walk with God. The second thing we would note is, and notice again what's in quotation, it may lead you through some uncomfortable spots. God leads you through some uncomfortable stuff. In other words, God doesn't like boring. God likes, you know, excitement. God likes to take you where you've never been before. We like comfort. Only show me what I've been through before. But I want you to notice what's in quotation marks. God will lead you through the uncomfortable parts of the journey. That is the holy way. Don't forget that. If you're saying, oh, this holy way, it scares me. Some people, that very word holy and holiness just scares them to death. We had uh, some people want to join our church several years ago, the Nazarenes. They came from another denomination, but uh, they backed out when, when the lady, and this was a couple about 60 years old, she heard that our denominational magazine was entitled The Herald of Holiness. And it just scared the living dickens out of her, this word holiness. She backed away from the Nazarenes. Well, holiness and holy is all through the Bible, so it's biblical. But God is not scary. And we don't need to be scared of the holy way. God will lead us through it, and God knows all the uncomfortable spots along the journey, and he will lead us through them. Number three, a healthy fear factor is involved. A healthy fear factor. God says what? To be the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God, or the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. There is a healthy fear that we are always to have of God. And the holy way requires that. It's, it, it's, it's a healthy fear. It's not a scary fear. It's not a crazy fear. It's a healthy fear. And it is involved. But the last thing we would note about this journey into the unknown is, it is what? Quotation, known to God. And that's all we have to know, isn't it? I don't know it, but God does. The holy way for your life is known by God. Now let's move on to the second thing. This holy way that we talk about is only for the serious of heart and mind. No, you can't casually dip yourself into it. You can't just kind of skim across the top of it. It's for the serious 
of heart and mind. When the people uh, were at this same place where Moses was, but when, when the people saw the cloud that Moses walked to, what did they do? They walked away from it. They were afraid. They were not ready for the holy way. They were not of heart and mind that, that they were ready to do that. They pulled back, and the Bible says they stood at a distance. We're not ready for this. It's not for the, those that can't be serious of heart and mind the holy way. And only Moses was prepared, and only Moses entered into the thick cloud. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. You do not casually consider being crucified. We're not talking about something casual here. In fact, as Paul made this statement, I think it's important for us to realize that Paul made a statement that just would have totally... um, uh, his readers and listeners, those original le- readers and listeners, would have thought, Paul, you're a crazy man. I am crucified with Christ? What is that like saying? It's stronger than you and I saying, I have been electrocuted in death for Christ. I have gone out and been hung. It's it's worse than that. Because it was, it was a very... Uh, hideous way of of capital punishment. It was degrading. There was nothing worse you could say about a person but that they have been crucified. And Paul is saying, I have been crucified with Christ. You don't casually think about such a statement. Do you know that credit cards can get you into trouble? And I'm trying to stay on the subject here, so hang with me. I should have brought some with me. You know what credit cards look like. People get into serious trouble, don't they, with credit cards. And uh, uh, once you start spending and you start paying the minimum balance, then you get more offers for more credit cards. I mean, it just escalates, doesn't it? They want your business. They don't want you to pay them off and uh, all this stuff. And I'll never forget, uh, some years ago, uh, some ministry tools that I got. I got a cassette tape and a testimony of a pastor and. In Iowa, I remember from the state of Iowa, he and his wife got into serious, serious trouble with credit cards and some other indebts, indebtedness, some hospital bills. And and, uh, good guy, serving the Lord, doing God's business, pastoring a church. But uh, he was on the the, uh, program that Focus on the Family put out for pastors to give testimony of, how to get out of credit card debt when you get so deep into it. And you're not looking for the option of, I guess, declaring bankruptcy. How do do I get out of all this mess? Well, they began to pray, began to read the Bible, began to, on this issue, and began to seek out some people that could help them. And here's what they did. They have all these credit card debts and hospital debts and so on, about 15 things. They began to pay off the smaller ones first. In full. And they went to the creditors, their bigger creditors, and explained to them, We intend to pay you off, but here's our plan, and we'll get to you. We're going to pay off the small ones, we're going to get to the big ones. Pleaded that interest and so on would be smaller and so on. And, and uh, in a matter of years, they were able to pay off the small ones, move to the bigger ones, 
to where they got every single debt paid off. But here's the key. It only happened when they got serious. That's the key, isn't it? Credit card spending will just keep going and going and going until there's a seriousness about the matter. I will take care of this. I will nip it in the bud. I will do what I need to do. And the disciples see we're in this period. It's 14 days after the resurrection. They are just intensifying in their heart and mind the seriousness of wanting what God is going to offer them and give to them in their lives. This thing, the holy way. Here's the third thing we look at when we think about the holy way. It is a work inside you requiring your complete surrender. See, Moses surrendered himself when he walked into the cloud. The people were all afraid. They backed away. I think on Moses' part, there probably was fear too. It's the unknown. I don't know what's in that cloud. God's presence is there. But Moses said, but I, I want it. There was a surrender on his part. Paul surrendered himself when he says, I have been crucified with Christ. But it's the words after that that are so important. He says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Now, if we were to take the original language of that verse, the way it was written out, the original time, and we were to take those Greek words, and under all those Greek words, put English words to match up with us, here's the way it would read, literally. I live no longer, I, talking about the ego, but lives in me, Christ. That's word for word. We take a little bit of freedom in the English language. We say, okay, let's make it flow into English where we can read it better. So let's go a little further. A more extended translation that would be literal would be like this. I live no longer as I once did, but in a new way, no longer I. So you see, part of what the disciples were coming face to face with after this resurrection of Christ and this intensifying need they are sensing in their heart and spirit is simply this, will I now surrender all of myself to Christ? It's just intensifying. They're seeing the need more and more as they approach the day of Pentecost. So here's the questions. I guess you could put it this way. It would be, one of the questions would be like this. Will I be the slave, the servant, on the block, who will raise my hand when Christ walks by and says, I'll pay for the slave, the servant, if they're willing? Part of the surrender is saying, yeah, that's the man. I want him to own me. Nobody else had surrender. Surrender is this. Will I go through the uncomfortable? Because remember, God's not into boring. God doesn't want all the things to just be so orderly. He wants your life to have excitement. The holy way is an exciting way. Some people get that notion, oh, holy means boring and 
door. Oh, my, no. Surrender yourself to God, and you better get ready for excitement because it's going to come. The other thing you would ask is, am I willing to give up my rights? You know, we like to call the shots. We like to make the decisions, don't we? We like to be the ones when something comes across and uh, we want to get agitated about something. We want the right to say, oh, I'm going to do it. And the holy way is God says, now you're going to surrender to me and I'm going to tell you how to react, what to say, how to talk. Will I give up my rights? Will I give up my ownership? You know. And so that's all a part of complete surrender. Number four is this. The holy way is a journey of faith. For Moses, it required faith. It took a lot of faith. When the people backed away from the cloud, Moses says, I'm going to the cloud. took a lot of faith because he had no idea what was there. And uh, fearful, yet he trusted God. Here's what's interesting. What is in the middle of a hurricane, the eye of the storm? Peace and calm. In fact, they say in the middle of the hurricane is sunshine. In the middle of the hurricane is where the planes and the helicopters fly way up above the the hurricane and they can see down in it. In the middle of the darkness is a peace and calm. As God is calling you to the holy way and you're on the outside looking in and you're Faced with the question, do I accept it? Do I surrender to God? Just remember, in the eye of the holy way is peace and calm. Right? It takes faith to believe that. It's a journey of faith. And uh, in the midst of the holy way, there is peace with God. Number five, the holy way is something God does for us. Now, I don't want to startle you, or, but I'm going to put it this way. If I were to consider suicide, there's a number of ways I could do it. I could simply take the gun, which seems to be one of the more uh, popular ways. I could uh, take some pills. I could um, also swallow some poison. I accidentally did that as a child. I drank some bleach, my parents told me, and they took me to the hospital quick. And I almost wasn't here, I guess, but I'm, I'm here. But you can drink poison. You can go to your garage and turn your car on and go to the back of your car and sit there and breathe carbon monoxide, and eventually that will kill you. You could uh, hang yourself. You could shock yourself. I know in, in Wyoming, every now and then on the news, you would get the, the story that, you know, they irrigate up there and you have these long pieces of aluminum pipe and you move them around the field and, and the guys out in the field move them. And sometimes they put them upright and they're moving them around, but they are not careful to watch for a high wire. And immediately it just kills them, shocks them to death. I could do something like that. I could figure out something in one of these sockets. Paul Cooper could help me, and, and uh, I could kill myself that way. 
pretty instantly. I could jump off a building. I could jump into the path of a moving truck. I could get into my own truck and figure out a way to, to do something and, and go off a hill or something and kill myself. But can I crucify myself? You ever thought about that? It might be possible to place myself upon the cross and, and force some nails down through my feet. Maybe. I can't imagine that. You know, a gun, you just click a trigger and there it is. You know, to hammer the nails in. I might, this would even be a little more far-fetched, but I might be able to hold a nail here some way and hammer one hand into the cross on this side. But what do I do with this hand? And how do I raise the cross up once that's all done? I cannot crucify myself, can I? Will not work. And so uh, that is something that only God does. You know what? A lot of people try to crucify themselves. They do. They think that's their job. That they need to punish themselves. And, um, but as you cannot crucify yourself physically, you cannot crucify yourself spiritually. That is a work that God does. And when we try to do it, you can imagine somebody trying to do that. They are just going to make a mess. And they are just going to really botch things up. And it doesn't work. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. He didn't say, I have done that. But he says, Christ has been crucified. God has done that work. And I now have been crucified with Christ through my faith in him. Now, the question has come, come up, what has been crucified? That's why you need to come next week. We'll look at that. The disciples, 14 days after the resurrection, 14 days, I think, from the moment they woke up every morning, it did not take very long at all for them to say, there's something going on in my heart, my life, my mind. God is doing something to me. And I feel it. And I know it. And I can't get away from it. And all I know to do is to, is to just keep hungering and searching and longing and having an interest in what God has for me. We may also be on that same spiritual journey. How are we going to react? Just like those disciples. Stay with me on the journey. What is the next step? What is it that God wants to do for us and in us and for us? Stay with the journey. Will you do that? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, you are a spiritual being. And we are spiritual beings. And we have been made in your image and in your likeness. And we have relationship with you. But we're the fallen ones. We're the imperfect ones. We have no righteousness within ourselves. Nothing good within ourselves. 
what happens to us must come from without us. And yet, God, you have made it very clear that you never force this on any of us. It's always our choosing, our decision, what we want. As those disciples, Lord, were yearning and thirsting and hungering and seeking after, help us to be like that. Help us to see that holy way that they found and came to and began to live is something you want for each one of us. Continue with us on this journey. We pray in your name. Amen.